Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We need to just keep getting the gospel to people. We need to keep telling them what the gospel really is, that Christ died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that upon receiving him, we would find full acceptance with God, that I don't need to add any additional thing to that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, Sons and Heirs. Now, here's Pastor Brian. They seemingly embraced it, but now that they're not moving forward in it, Paul says, I'm at this place where I'm laboring again. I am laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Laboring in birth. So let's look at just that whole picture of what Paul is talking about there. He says that he's laboring for them. And the word there is a word that he commonly uses. And it's a word that speaks of intense labor. And the, the context makes that clear, right? Because he, he uses the analogy of, of birth. And I'm not about to say anything else about that because I've never done that. But I have seen my wife do that four times. And so I know that's that's as intense as, <laughs> that's labor. It doesn't get any more intense than that. So Paul's talking about, a, a, obviously, a real intensity in his labor for them. But I, I want to look at five things that Paul does here when he, as he's laboring for them. And the, these five things are things that I think we can learn from as well. Because undoubtedly, there are people in our lives, or there are going to be people in our lives at certain times where this is going to be the case with them. We're, we're going to recognize that, you know, Christ is not formed in them yet, and, and we're going to have to labor for them. So the first thing that I want you to notice is that Paul continued in his laboring, he continued to love them. He continued to love them. Now, we oftentimes can just so easily write people off, especially when they don't come along the way we think they should or in the time frame that we think they should. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to just sort of say, okay, well, you know, that's it. And we're, we're cutting you off. And Paul didn't do that. And it's obvious he didn't do it by the fact that he wrote him this letter. This letter is an indicator of his ongoing love for them. He really cares about them. So he doesn't, you know, he's not now removed from the situation. He hears about what's going on in Galatia and he just says, oh, well, you know, that's too bad. You know, they had their chance. I shared the gospel with them. If they didn't get it, then too bad for them. They they missed their opportunity. I've got other stuff to do. Paul, Paul didn't do that. He continued to love them. And so likewise with us, we, we need to continue to love people. Sometimes I think the impression we give to people is that if they don't respond the way we want them to, then our love 
stops right there. And we have to be careful with that. We have to suffer long sometimes. We have to, to persevere in the love despite the fact that they're not doing what they should be doing. But then secondly, we see that he continued to tell them the truth. He continued to tell them the truth. He kept the truth before them. And not only did he keep the truth before them, but he continued to push back on the false teachers. He continued to point out that these guys were wrong and that there was a truth that the Galatians needed to grab hold of. And again, for us, we need to keep telling people the truth. Now, remember, when we tell people the truth, we are to do so in love, as Paul would say to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. So there, there has to be that, that component. And as we saw, he continued to love them. So he's telling them the truth. But in their mind, he doesn't love them because he's telling them the truth. They become enemies because he's telling them the truth. And sometimes that's the way it sort of works out. Uh, you know, today in our post-truth culture, who would have ever imagined that we would be living in post-truth now? You know, post-truth is, is a thing. And there's all kinds of talk about it now that, you know, truth is not objective in people's minds these days. It's just whatever you want it to be. Whatever you feel like is true, that is what's true. End of discussion. So we have to continue to tell people the truth. And sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that's difficult. And sometimes we, we will feel pressure to back off on the truth, to compromise the truth, to dismiss the truth so we can maintain the, the relationship or the peace or something like that. And, and, you know, there's many in the church today who are doing that very thing right now. Certain things that are being pressed in the culture as you have to accept these things. You know, some Christians and some Christian leaders are even capitulating and just saying, oh, okay, well, well, now we, we see that maybe we had this wrong, and so we're going to back off on this. We're not going to insist on this truth, but we've got to continue to hold fast to the truth. We've got to, to stand uh, on the truth, because the only way Christ is going to be formed in somebody ultimately is if we just keep putting the truth before them. To compromise the truth and to give in to their uh, embracing of a, of a non-truth is not going to do anything beneficial for them. So for their own benefit, even though they don't see it as a benefit, we have to stand firm on the truth. We have to maintain the truth. I was watching a video uh, yesterday that um, uh, somebody sent me, and I, I think, well, it, it was uh, an interview with um, Pierce Morgan. He was interviewing Rick Warren. And in the interview, he was talking to Rick, and it was obvious that, that Pierce respected Rick. And, and yet he was, you know, like he's always doing, Pierce Morgan, he's always pushing the homosexual issue, the gay marriage issue. And, and he's, he's saying to Rick, and 
I, I've seen him be really rude at times, but he was actually being gracious and, but, but just insistent, you know, like, hey, look, you know, there, there's a point where you guys are just gonna have to admit you're wrong about this. And, you know, so Rick was giving some really good answers, but then, he, but then Pierce just asked him this question. He said, he said Is, do you see a time coming when you and others like you, and, and he referred to, he says, you know, I've, I've been to your library. I know you've got a library full of books by scholars. And, you know, uh, but, but, you know, people are changing their mind. They're realizing that they had things wrong. So he said, do you see a time when yourself and others in the church are going to recognize that we've been wrong about this issue and you're going to finally embrace homosexuality, you're going to embrace gay marriage, you know, do you see that coming? And Rick's answer was so amazingly brilliant and bold. He just looked at him, he said, that's not coming. I never see that coming because, this is what he said, because I'm more concerned about what God thinks of me than what you think of me or what this crowd thinks of me or what the rest of the world thinks of me. And that is a good example of speaking the truth in, in love. But that's the kind of thing we have to do. And 10 years ago, none of us knew that it was going to be as intense as it is in the culture today when it comes to speaking the truth. People don't want the truth. They want you to shut up. And people who are even claiming to be Christians don't want you to tell the truth about some of these things. They want to go on like the Galatians and they're happy to have Jesus under their own terms. And we can't allow for that. We have to insist upon the truth. So we have to keep speaking the truth. We have to tell them the truth. But again, we have to do it winsomely. We have to do it wisely. We have to do it graciously. We have to do it lovingly, but we have to speak the truth. Then Paul, thirdly, he continued to explain the gospel to them. Paul continued to explain the gospel to them. He's like, okay, let's go over this again. And that's what Galatians is about. You know, thus far in our study, that's what he's been doing, right? He's just been rehearsing the gospel to them over and over again. And this is also something that we need to do today. We need to just keep getting the gospel to people. We need to keep explaining the gospel to people. We need to keep telling them what the gospel really is versus what it isn't. We have to have a good, consistent explanation of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he died in our place so that we could be justified, so that we could be forgiven, so that upon receiving him, we would find full acceptance with God, that I don't need to add any additional thing to that. So we need to just keep getting the gospel out. And for those like the Galatians, again, those who have come to a point, but yet obviously Christ has not been formed in them yet, we have to help them to understand the gospel. We have to keep going back over and over again. Man's default position is always to go back to some sort of works righteousness. And we have to keep pressing against that. No, that's not how it happens. It takes place through your full embrace of Christ. So 
Paul did that. He continued to explain the gospel to them. And then, although the text doesn't tell us this specifically, I, I am absolutely certain that Paul continued to pray for them. No question about that. Paul, the word labor that he uses here, he uses this word a number of times in his letters, and he uses it in connection with prayer. So it's speaking of laboring in prayer, just like a woman is laboring in birth. So Paul's obviously speaking of, uh, of a real intensity and a passion in prayer. And this is one of the ways that we labor for other people as well. You know, we labor in prayer for them. And, and you know this, I know this, we all have this experience, I'm sure, that you know, there are people that you love, people that you are concerned about, people that might even you know, refer to themselves as Christians, but you know the reality is there's no manifestation of Christ being formed in their life. And you also know that they don't want you to say anything to them. They, they're not open to conversation. And you know, I think we all probably know people where you've come to that place. What do you do then? You pray for them. They can't stop you from doing that. And you don't even have to tell them you're praying for them. You know, because when you tell them, they're like, don't pray for me. I hate that. I don't need you to pray for me. So don't even tell them. It's okay. God knows you're praying for them. And you know, I have found that God is so much better at convicting people than I am. He's really good at this, you know. He really knows what to do. He really knows where to nail them and how to do it. And I have had so many situations where I have, I couldn't even sense at all that there was anything going on in a person's heart regarding conviction from their outward behavior. Didn't, didn't seem like they were convicted about anything. But the truth of the matter is, through prayer, God was dealing with them. God was convicting them. And then when they you know, finally come around and Christ is formed in them, they tell the story about, wow, man, let me tell you how convicted I was back in those days. So we labor in prayer. And then fifthly and finally, we need to continue to hope for the best. And this is more important than you might think by just hearing it. But listen to what I mean. We need to hope for the best like Paul did. Again, Paul, he continues in love. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't just dismiss it as, well, you know, I tried, I failed. They didn't get it. They've rejected Christ. I'm moving on. No, Paul continued to hope for the best. How do we know that? We know that because of the letter itself. And we know that even though he has doubts about where they genuinely are and he's concerned that Christ is informed in them, he also continues to speak to them as though you, they are believers and challenge them and put those truths forth to them. And so what you see in the letter itself is you see that Paul continued to hold out hope for the best. He was believing that God was going to bring to fruition that, that work that he had started there. And this is something that I think we need to think about. Because I think sometimes we cannot be hopeful. Sometimes we just think that, well, the, you know, just what it is right now is what it's always going to be. And we just, and we just kind of give up hope and we write people off. And in some ways, I think we've sort of been conditioned toward that. Being conditioned toward thinking that unless somebody responds immediately to my gospel presentation, then that's, um, 
well, that was the one opportunity, you know, and if they didn't respond, then, well, that's it. They rejected Christ, and so now we're done, and there's no more hope. And some people, whether they consciously think like that or not, they behave like they think like that. Because the moment a person doesn't give the, the response that they're looking for, there's that tendency to just, you know, sort of put them in the category of hopeless. And Paul doesn't do that, and we should not do that either. But I think it's the mistaken idea that all of our efforts to lead people to Jesus, unless they result in us actually, you know, saying a prayer with them or something like that, then somehow we failed in our task. That's not true. Because there's a process. And if we understand that we are part of a process, it, that becomes so helpful. It becomes helpful in, I think, the way we approach people. If I understand that I am part of a process and that the, the eternal destiny of this person is not weighing upon me right this moment. You know, if I go into a, a conversation with a person thinking that, that is such a huge burden. And I start, because I'm under just an intense burden, I just get weird really quick. I can't be a normal person, because after all, I gotta save this person right now. And so I'm just like, okay, forget this small talk about normal stuff, we gotta get to the point. And, and, you know, and then when you get like that, then the person is automatically on the like, hey, slow down, you know, back up. And you know, I've actually had many times where I've shared the gospel with people and brought them to the point where I think they pretty well understood, but then at the same time said, look, I will pray with you right now if you would like to, but I'm not going to force you to do this. I'm not going to pressure you to do this. Because if I pressure you to do it, somebody else is going to pressure you to retract it. I want you to be at that place where you want to do this. It's, it's got to be your decision. So again, hoping is recognizing that God is working through a process here and realizing that, you know, we are part of the process. Because I think most of the time we just think of the ultimate in the harvesting part of it. But don't forget, the seed has to be planted before it can ever be harvested. It has to be cultivated before it can ever be harvested. And God uses us in that process. Some are planting the seed. That's all they're doing. They're, they're just planting it. The seed is planted. And others are coming along and they're, they're watering what somebody else planted. And then occasionally somebody gets the blessing of, of being able to harvest what somebody else has done. But you see, the hopeful mentality is to know that God's working through a process and that he's faithful and as he's planted the, the seed in people's lives, that he's going to, he's going to bring that about. And, and we can have that confidence that he's doing that. You know, in my trip home recently from my time in Europe, I, I sat next to a guy on the flight on the way home and, you know, we finally got into a conversation. He, was, he lived in London, so we had some common conversation about that. And I noticed his accent and said, well, you know, where are you from? He wasn't English. Um, and he happened to be an Israeli. And that opened up a whole nother opportunity for conversation because I love London and I love Israel. And so we talked about Israel. He lived outside of Jerusalem and, you know, we 
talked about that. And then, I mean, when you're talking about Israel, how do you not talk about the Bible? And when you're talking about the Bible in Israel, how do you not talk about prophecy? And, you know, so one thing led to another, and I got to just kind of encourage him toward looking at his own Bible because he claimed to be a, a, a believing Jew who was observant and was able to point him to different prophecies and things that kind of show why the world is the way it is today. And, you know, I walked away from that. I didn't lead him to Christ. And years ago, I probably would have walked away from that feeling like, what a lousy witness I am. What a big loser. What a big failure. You know, I had this guy next to me for 10 hours and I didn't lead him to Christ, man. I'm just, I'm hopeless. <laughs> but I actually walked away going, thank you, Lord, that I got to plant the seed of your word. And I know that you set me next to this guy to do that. And so I just trust in you. You're going to bring somebody along to water that. So again, as we labor, we must labor with hope, hoping for the best, giving God time to work in people's lives. And I think sometimes, again, it's just a, a misunderstanding of the grace of God and the patience of God and all of those things. You know, you come up to somebody, you've never seen them in your life. You give them a track. You tell them, hey, read this right now. Pray this prayer right now. If you don't, you might get in a car wreck and you're going to die today and you're going to go to hell forever. And, you know, and most people are like, what? Who? What? You know, most people are like that. And now I'm not saying that God has never used that to save somebody. I'm sure he has. I'm sure there's a testimony where somebody would say, yeah, some guy gave me a track, told me I was going to hell if I didn't pray that prayer right there, and I did, and so now I'm saved. And Okay, good. But, you know, I would say that's more the exception than the rule. And we don't make the exception the rule. The rule is one plants, one waters. God makes it grow. That's what the Bible says. And so that's what Paul demonstrated toward the Galatians. He, continue, he labored for them, but we see his labor was he continued to love them. He continued to speak the truth to them. He continued to explain the gospel to them. He undoubtedly continued to pray for them, and he continued to hope for the best, that God was going to bring them around, and Christ would be formed in them. And then, of course, that is what happens through simple faith alone. And that's what Paul was wanting to get them back to because they had added, remember, their problem was they were adding to the gospel. We need more than the gospel. We need these works and things. No, you need to just get back to that simple trust in Christ. And as you trust him simply as the one who died and rose again for your sin, as you trust him he will come into your life. He will be formed in you and he will work out his good will and purpose through your life. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you've ever pondered if there is really only one way to God, or if all religions ultimately lead you to God, then this book is for you. Rebecca McLaughlin addresses this very topic and others that confront Christianity head on. 
The book Confronting Christianity is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.